Amen. Thank you so very, very much. Psalms, the first chapter, verse number one. I love preaching from the next six verses, and we're going to do that again tonight. We look at our world and we think our world is not exactly content. They certainly are, are not happy. But the big question often for individuals is how, how can I receive God's favor? And you say, well, you really shouldn't ask for God's favor. But he tells us in the scripture that we have the privilege to say, God, I need your favor. And if you ask properly and with expectancy, then you're saying, God, I don't want anyone else's favor. I want your favor. And of course, he speaks back to us and tells us what to do and kind of the guidelines that are here. How many of you would say, you know, I like God's favor? Would you raise your hand? I do. I, I don't want to do without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I believe this. The happiest people and the happiest families in the world are those who really make a commitment to honor and serve God. Now, I've seen this over and over again. I've seen families where there would be individuals, four, five kids, etc., and maybe one out of the four children, they're all adults now, I would say, but one out of that four or five really made a commitment to go to church, made a commitment to honor God, made a commitment to prayer, and the other individuals uh, of the family raised in the same household uh, of course, chose just not to go to church, seasonal. They may go, you know, for Easter and go Christmas. And other than that, Sunday was another free day that they got. Uh, they talked a good talk about God, talked a good talk about, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, etc. But if you looked at their lives and you look at their children, here's what you find. You find the happiness is absent. You find that they are struggling. You find that their lifestyle is not pleasing to God. You find all kind of things that brings error in their way. But the one child who decided to follow after the Lord and make the sacrifice, it seems that that family is the one that progressed. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, was that the smart kid? Well, not necessarily. But it was the young per was the kid when he was young and got married and his spouse who decided, as for me and my house, we are going to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And it does make a definite difference. You see, it doesn't mean that when we're following the Lord that we're not going to have challenges. I, I want you to know I understand that. But what it means that in the believer's life that our relationship with God, don't please don't miss this, our relationship with God is not driven by our circumstances, good or bad. Our relationship with God is not based on good or bad health. Okay, my health, someone might say, my health is not good right now. Well, let me just tell you something. That doesn't mean that you don't have God's favor. Well, you might say, well, financially we are stretched, right? That doesn't mean that you don't have God's favor. Here's what you do have, though. You have an eternal guarantee that if you breathe your last breath, you're going to stand in the presence of Almighty God and not judged by your sin, but judged by your work. Somebody say amen. And the believer's life is driven by this intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about on assembly of God or I go to Victory Church or, or yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm talking about 
a passion. Are you saved? I sure am. Do you follow after the Lord Jesus? I sure do. Do you go to church? Yes, I do. Uh, do you read your Bible? I'm telling you, I read my Bible. Do you pray? Absolutely. I pray a lot of times every single day. It's a life of a believer that is driven by that passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's something else. Now, you can have all of God you want. God doesn't limit his presence in your life. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, he invades your heart by your permission and says, okay, I want to set up residence here. You see, that person that trusts in God, that's those of us who are following the Lord, we can say, my trust is in the Lord. Well, what is your primary focus if you're going to trust God? This makes sense to me. It is to do the will of God and to die to selfish desires a little every single day. No longer do I want to do the things that I want to do. When your life is changed and you were used to a lifestyle that had little to do with the church, little to do with prayer, listen to me carefully, friend. You can know when you're really born again because that which you consider a priority begins to change and your focus comes to the place that you say, I want to do what God wants me to do. No more are we just going to take every single Sunday and go out fishing and camping and everything else and just be another day. Me and Miles, we are going to be in church. That's where we belong. Somebody help me say amen. amen. Big difference. Huge difference. I have people that I'm dealing with right now in major crisis. And when they're in major crisis, they want your attention. They want a pastor's attention. They need help right here and right now. And in every situation, in all those situations, I say, you know, you need to get passionate about Jesus. Turn it all over to God. Really seek his face. Do everything you can to drive deeper. And then I step back and I watch until things seem to go normal for probably four or five days or a week or two. And I look up. I don't see them. I don't, I don't, I don't know where they're at. No matter how many you need to get in church and be consistent until again they get in another place and say, my life is so messed up, I cannot make it. Then why aren't you doing what you should do every single day and build a life that is passionate about Jesus Christ? Christ. How about an amen there? An amen means so be it. I remember a testimony service we used to have them years ago where some popcorn testimonies. Any of you remember that? You just stood up and testified. And one lady got up and she said, I want you to know, I just, uh, I want to thank God. I want to thank God because the devil's been after me all day long. Bless his holy name. <laughs> thank you. Well, think about, think about that, you know. If the devil's not chasing you, you're not worth your salt in your relationship with God. But if you made your mind up, the devil not only will chase you, he'll try to overtake you. I believe that. Well, here's what Jesus said in John 4, 34. Are you ready? Here we go. My food is to do the will. My substance, my purpose is to do the will of him who sent me, and to do what? To finish his work. Now, do you think that when Jesus left that the work of the Father was finished? No. That's why the church was created, and he said, I want you, the church of Jesus Christ, to finish what I started. That makes sense? 
you can't finish it sitting in front of your television one Sunday or, or three Sundays out of a month. You can't finish the work if you're not sharing the love of Jesus and becoming passionate. Here's what I know. The devil will suck the life out of you every single day, and the only place you get life is from the Word of God and the fellowship of the faith of like believers. Jesus called his disciples. He said, all right, boys, deny yourself. It was a great message for Peter Peter, deny yourself. Jesus said it. Peter didn't necessarily understand. But I, I love the place where Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6, and he really makes it clear. Remember, he's trying to drill down and create a new paradigm. The, the, the old paradigm was, okay, the Ten Commandments. The old paradigm was not a personal relationship with Jesus. The old paradigm was the letter of the law. And when Jesus came on the scene, he begins to talk to the disciples, and he's talking to them about a different paradigm. He said, you're going to have to shift to understand that favor does not come from works. It does not come from obeying the law. Favor comes when you make a commitment to fall in love with Jesus Christ and begin to sacrifice yourself for his purpose every single day. The disciples did not catch it for three solid years, he taught them. And in the last gospel there, or in Luke, in the last part of Luke, and in Matthew, the last part, he says to them, hey, guys, I want you to know I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back and uh, going to receive you unto myself. I want you to carry on. Here are the keys to the kingdom. Here's the message you need to preach. And they still, at the end of the day, did not capture it. Not until, for example, in some cases, after the resurrection, he appears to them and said, hey, guys, this is a different paradigm. And every time you change paradigms, you go to zero. You start over. And you say, all right, God, what is it that you want me to do? Here it is. This is what he's drilling down early in the ministry. He said, the place where your treasure is, the place uh, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtime or whether their clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than food that you put in your tummy, more to your outer appearance than the clothes that that you hang on your body. He's saying to them, there is a treasure that is far different than the material possession that the world absolutely thinks they have to have. The clothes, thank God for them, but not material possessions, and the food. And he says, as you value clothing and you value food, here's what I want you to do. I want you to value your relationship with me beyond that. And it appears that there's a life that can be fulfilling and wonderful, but it can only be found in that relationship. It's not found where most people are looking. So David in Psalms 1, I call it the happy chapter, he talks about, okay, let me tell all of you, let me tell my audience that I'm writing to now, let me tell Victory Church, 
On October 31, again, to all you people, let me express the message that God laid on my heart. Blessed, happy is what that means, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, he does not build his life on CNN. He doesn't build his life on NBC. He does not build his life on Fox News either. He does not build his life on what popular culture is doing. But he said he builds his life not among the wicked. Don't don't counsel. Take the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Don't do that. Blessed is that man who just pursues Almighty God. Do you know how sly the enemy is? Here's one of the things that keeps us on track. It is this, purpose. If you have purpose, purpose will drive you and drive your passion because you have purpose in your life. And he, he desires for that purpose in your life be about him. It means that one has the determination, I have a purpose, a determination to accomplish a goal. So he says, happy is the man who does not follow his own lazy, carnal, divisive way. Happy is that man that does not do that. The negative first he talks about. He makes an assumption that if we do not have a purpose, and he's right, and we don't have a goal or a meaningful desire for good in God, we will naturally stoop to the lowest levels of responsibility, of commitment, of religious activity, and exerted energy. He said, if you don't have a purpose when you come to church, if you don't have a purpose when you read your Bible, if you don't have a purpose when you pray, if you don't have a purpose when you go to work, not just to make money, to be a light often in the darkness, here's what he says, it won't be long and your desire and responsibility to do what it is that you are doing without purpose will sooner or later dissipate. You'll engage in religious activities. Everywhere we look in the scripture, Jesus warns us, even in the Old Testament and the New, hey, when you make your mind up to follow the Lord, you are going to have an uphill battle most of the time. People are not going to understand you. They're not going to like you. But here's what he said. When you get on the path that is absolute dedication and commitment to God, and when you pray, you say, God, I like that healing, but if it doesn't happen, I'm still purpose-driven. And you say, God, I, you know I need a raise, but if I don't get it, I want you to know I'm still going to tithe. I'm still going to follow you. Here's what he says. If you maintain that kind of mental attitude, God said, I'll give you more favor that will come supernaturally your way because I know it's not based on what you want, but based on your love and relationship for me. Well, when David, what David didn't say was louder in this text than what he did say. What he didn't say and left it alone. We must not walk in the footsteps of a world that's driven with pride or selfishness or lust or lust for money, a love for power, love for position. 
and so many other things. He said, you must spiritually focus on the walk that is laid out for you in Christ's name. I don't understand why some people, um, why some people uh, have to live the life they live. I, I don't understand that. I cannot explain it. A woman, a young woman asked me the other day, how, how come I'm not married? You know, now I could guess. I could say several things, you know, uh, a lot of things. But you know what the reality is, I would lead her if I spoke on a trail that says it must be something you're doing or not doing. And what I said was, hey, if God wills, for you to be married, here's what God will do. God will send you a person if you've got your ears and your eyes open and you're praying, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? And when you're praying, thy will be done, maybe she's five foot seven and God sends her a five foot one guy. Well, God... You know, I'm not going out with a guy five foot one and I'm five seven. I'm six inches taller. Don't put God in a box. Amen? Feed the boy. Feed him. Give him vitamins. He might get taller. Get some shoe lifts in his shoes. Hello? There's all kind of things that you can do. Amen? Y'all slowing down on me now. Why am I saying that? Because this will make sense. It's Jesus in Matthew 7. I don't want you to look for any shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to favor, the way to get it to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Total attention. I said that to a group of leaders that I met yesterday at a, a large institution. And I speak with them uh, about once a quarter and take two hours and talk to them about paradigms, talk to them about leadership, talk to them about uh, uh, guidance and allowing the Holy Spirit uh, in a success-driven world. Always remember the altar is the most, imp most important place. That altar is the most important place. You see, the spiritual, or the, those that are focused and walk after Christ, sometimes may lead you down the dirty streets feeding the poor. You'll hear about that in our missions conference. It may lead you to be a prison uh, chaplain. It may, may lead you to what is considered to be the valley of the shadow. By the way, we have a few places open. That is not to say those that signed up backed out. They have not. We just found more rooms. So we open the door a little bit more for just a few more, but we will see what is considered to be the valley of the shadow. You will see where it is. It is believed that David, when he referred to the valley of the shadow of death, it was in this place that we will stand. 
we understand that. The hall of moral judgment. Someday you'll falsely be accused or ridiculed because of your faith. It may start small and go straight and may hinder some relationships. It may cause you to wind up in the garden of self-denial and sucking up your pride and saying, hey, it's not worth arguing about. It is not an issue here. You, you may find yourself the cross of satanic attack or the tomb that, a tomb that seems to be nothing more than shattered dreams. How did my life count? But one day, that walk will lead you and me to the throne of Jesus Christ. In his presence. That's the walk. So I make my mind up. I'm going to walk after the Lord. The second thing he talks about in Psalms 1-2, but his delight, talking about our delight, is in the law of the Lord, in the principles of the Lord. And on his law, you and I meditate day and night. We meditate day and night. When a person has discovered and defined and dedicated himself and the family to be spiritually focused, he will quickly determine the need for consistent passion. How many of you know in just about anything in your life, you can be passionate at one time, but over a period of time, the rub of life itself will eradicate that passion and you'll not be as passionate about it uh, over a period of time unless you continually fuel that passion many have started well but ultimately lapsed back to a purpose purposeless life because they did not continue to fuel their passion for those things that are meaningful to God it, it, it I have pastored here for 30 years I know people right now that came in worshiping God couldn't get enough of Jesus, sat on the front row, who today are not in the church. Said, well, what did you do to them? Nothing. I can tell you what's happened. Along the way, they decided that's too much commitment, that's too much sacrifice, that's too much dedication. And some of them, even today, and we love people when people watch online, but they've settled to the fact, I, I'm just not going to church, I'll watch what's going on online. Listen to me. We never created the message to be online to keep people from coming to the house of worship to join fellowship with others. You fuel your passion when you watch others. So we find that passion in your life, in your marriage, in your business, in church, in your spiritual experience is a reason for existence. It's self-perpetuation. It's direction from a dedicated cause and always leaves room for creative ability. God, my passion, wow, look what you have done. That passion has no purpose. I talked to an individual yesterday. He said, hey, Wayne's a fellow minister of mine. Pastor's a large church. And I said, happy anniversary. I said, 40 years. He said, yeah, you got me beat by 10 years. I said, what are you doing for your anniversary? He said, we're going to a beach. And he named the beach. I said, well, isn't that wonderful that you're going to the beach? He said, listen, Wayne, you know me. I hate the beach. You do? Well, tell me why you're going. He says, because my wife loves the beach. 
And after 40 years, that's where we are going to go. I said, well, isn't that sweet of you? Isn't that wonderful? I said, she's going to get out in the sun and bake. And what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to sit under the shade and enjoy a Diet Coke. Wow. Well, why did he decide to go? He's continually building the purpose and building the passion. You never get too old to fuel the passion for that which you love. Somebody say amen. Passion that has no purpose, that you don't focus on, that receives no attention, no guidance, is limited in its destiny. David said passion will cause you to delight in his presence. In other words, you'll want to be in the presence of the Lord. One of my favorite songs, you know, is In the Presence of Jehovah. I love that song. You want a fellowship among God's people. It's amazing. When you have that passion for him, you want to hear his voice. You want to please his heart. This last Sunday night at the end of the service, we continued to just in, enjoy what used to call an afterglow. I mean, the worship team, they just kept singing. And I was on the front row, and Randy Brummett, he was up here leading, and he, he, he got to the place that I could tell he's getting ready to, doesn't he look, you know, he's trying to lead worship. He looked down at me, and here's what he saw. You know, he smiled real big. What, what am I telling? That's my signal to say, don't stop now. Keep it going, son. You know, we, we got a move of the Holy Spirit. People are worshiping. He looked at me again in about a few minutes, and he looked, and he went, oh, Lord, and I saw him take that look, and I went, like that. Amen. He took off again. But you know what? When I turned around, here's what I saw. People could have left, and, and there were many that did. But there were a whole lot of people that got a bath in the precious anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you something, friend. God's in, not in the business of giving you what you really need expediently. God's in the business of saying, come on in and soak a while. Amen? Soak a while. Soak up all that I have for you. So it's the same as Ruth. You know the example in Ruth 1, verse 16 and 17. It's just amazing, you know, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'm going to go. In other words, where you stay, I'm going to stay. I want to be right here. I had a wedding last week, and it was a Robbie Peace's daughter and, and her husband, and they stood there in the rain. I mean, it was raining, and that white dress she had on, the fringe of that was wet. She was wet. I was wet. You couldn't turn the pages in the book. You had to peel them apart to get to the next page. And in some cases, the words just had melted away. Well, I've been doing this a long time. I know how to improvise. Amen. Would you take this gorilla to be your lawfully wedded husband to have in the hole from this day forward? <laughs> Do you promise to clip up all your credit cards and pay them off at the end of each and every month? No, I, I, you know, I can improvise, but oh, I got to tell you, she would look up at him and it was just like, oh Lord, doesn't matter if it's raining, doesn't matter if that hairdo she spent $75 all on is dripping down, doesn't matter whether that mascara is streaming down her cheek, she looks up, it's the happiest moment 
of her life. And he looks down at her and he's thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me, this absolutely beautiful woman. And you would have thought, my Lord, have mercy. They literally died and gone to heaven. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Just wait five years. <laughs> uh, they'll be more in love then. Well, let me rephrase it. They should be more in love then. Is that right? Because five years is one of the markers. Prosperity. He's like that tree planted by the streams of water, which yields it fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I was thinking today in preparation of this message, and I thought God has blessed Sharon and me, and because of God's favor and because of our tithing and giving ourselves, and I thought, God, you have done great things for us. I look back many, many years ago, maybe 40 years ago, and I thought I remember going into the Western Auto Store, and um, putting a few toys. At that time, we had two kids on layaway. We did it. I thought, I don't know how we're going to do it. It was six weeks before Christmas. We put it on layaway, but I remember all of that. I remember pretty well that God, you're going to have to help. I didn't go back home and sit down and say, all right, God, you know I put those few toys on layaway for those kids. So you have to send the money in. It's not what I did. I found me another place to work a little bit and said, God, I've got these hours here I can dedicate to making the money. But may I tell you something? I didn't know that we were broke. I don't remember saying we don't have the money to be able to do it. I don't remember. I think, boy, you go back to that salary, which was, you know, far, far from abundance. And those were the times that we opened up the, 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 the hash. You remember the corned beef hash? It's got the little chunks of potato in it, the little squares of potato. I mean, you talk about, you're talking about straight to your arteries. Just mix that up with a little barbecue sauce. And then I would dump a whole lot of Tabasco in because that kills anything in it. And take, take two pieces of light bread. How many remember when we used to call it that? Light bread. We got light bread. Take two pieces of light bread and we would buy the long loaves because they're thinner and put it on there. And I remember a lot of times on Sunday night, that's what we had. But you know what? I don't ever look back on that today and say, wow, what a tough time that was. As far as I can tell, I have always been wealthy, no matter what the income because I chose to let God be the Lord of my life. And I feel like that olive tree 
is planted by the streams of water. And God has shown blessing to my family and me. Think about the prosperity. David paints that picture. The person, the family, the relationship that just pursues God. God, I want, I want you. I want more of you. Does that mean we're living a perfect life? Absolutely not. Why? Why don't you live? Because you're not, we're not perfect. Israel was filled with rocks and barren places. And many of you that are going with us uh, at, uh, let's see, I think the end of March is when it is. The 1st of April. Uh, it's filled with rocks and barren places and, and flat mountain regions that are there. And there are many trees that are planted, but they couldn't survive because the soil was so rocky. But there were those places, those trees that were planted, and many of those olive trees gnarled up as could be, but had water in good soil. And it was a, it was a consistent testimony of the favor of Almighty God. And many say that that tree was that olive tree which produced shade, not tall, they're not real tall at all, produced shade and security for the traveler, food to the hungry, produced medicine for hurting, offered consistency to the fretful and discouraged because of its longevity and the depth of the root. And the one that is there near the Mount of Olives, they say, is at least a thousand years old. Right there as you look at it, oh, it's ugly. But let me tell you, it's got the longevity of life because the one who is the creator created that tree. May I tell you something? That your life is probably going to speak louder after you're dead. Let me say that again. Your life's probably going to speak louder after you're dead. People are going to talk about you. We know when you die and they have your funeral. How many of you know you go to somebody's house, you go to fellowship, and they love you and they weep and they cry and they agonize and they're going to go to that and they're going to eat fried chicken and uh, all, all of that stuff. Talk about the memory. But your kids and your grandkids... If you raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, they're going to say, buddy, thank God, granddad and grandma, thank God they held on and taught us that which is right. Amen? Somebody say amen. The olive tree provided that. So David said, this is the tree of prosperity. And I look out here among some of you tonight on this Wednesday night, and let me tell you what I see. I see wealth. Whether you're married, whether you're single, I see wealth. I see Jack and Mary, I see wealth. I, I look at so many of you, and I see wealth. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ and his church and the love of God has meant more to you down through the years than anything else in this world. That's how you get God's favor. Amen? I see wealth in Wally DeFreitas. Think about, wow, how many times could he throw us? I see that wealth in many of you. Let's stand. Let's give the Lord a clap offering, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Father God, I, I praise you and I thank you. And uh, we fall in love with you over and over again. Yes. 
We praise you and thank you because we know the chorus line of life. We know the the plan book. We know the playbook. And anyone who chooses to follow the playbook as you describe in Psalms 1 can in fact have favor from God. But God, far too many today in the church world, in the religious world, just just don't want to make the kind of commitment that it takes. We find that when that happens, a, a passion, and when you start slacking up and you start backing up and you start saying, well, maybe ever so often now we'll still be committed. It won't be long and those people will find themselves on a side road. They'll find themselves not as dedicated, not as committed. They'll find themselves pacifying their own will and their own wants. But to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to crawl out there in the lion's den. You have to be willing to walk across the desert in the heat of the day. You have to be willing to say, God, I want more responsibility. I want more opportunity, Jesus. You have to be willing to die And you have to be willing to take up your cross. But here's what we know. When you do that, it doesn't mean that, okay, your life is miserable. Because there are many, many people who gave their life, as we find in the New Testament, many individuals as we come into the missions conference. God, who've done just that. But they're as happy as they can be. Because they have found that deep well. They found that deep well where the rivers of Almighty God flow and overflow in their cup. And they look at their kids and their grandkids and they see them following Jesus. Father, that is the reward. There may be some in this room right now, your heart is not in tune or right. You're not in perfect alignment. Those of you who might be listening online, Your heart may not be in alignment. There again, you might be. You might be just all guns. But if you're not, we're going to pray this prayer for everyone. And those of you here in the room and those of you online, I'm asking you to repeat the prayer. Don't be ashamed to repeat it. Here we go. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. He died for my sins. And I choose to commit my life to follow him so right now i rededicate i recommit or i commit my life for the very first time to jesus christ take my hand lord i will follow you move all the barriers that would hinder me and let me walk courageously in your will for my life do this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Here's what we know. God is able to answer prayer. Amen. If you need prayer and you say, I just want to come and soak. God, I want you to anoint and maybe God's laid someone or maybe you a need that you have on your life. And you're saying, God, I've been praying and I've told people to pray. But listen, here's what I know out of acts of obedience. That's the beauty of being in church is you have the privilege of making a decision to say, God, I'm coming forward and I'm trusting you 
and believing you with all of my heart to meet this need. Amen. As we sing, we'll give the benediction in a minute. You come as God directs you. Would you do that? Here we go. sing it together. Would you do that in worship? Here we go. May I reiterate, would you please pray for the missions conference? Pray that God will speak to the hearts of our people, the many missionaries that will be here Sunday. As a matter of fact, many of them are coming on into Lakeland now because they consider Victory Church to be one of the great supporting churches in our movement that support and love missionaries. If you see missionaries along the hallways and they're at their booths, stop long enough to say hello. We know that God is in the miracle working business, don't we? So would you pray and would you believe and you join us? We know that God does miracles. Say amen. Amen. He let Boston Red Sox win the World Series. What a miracle. There you are. Look at somebody you don't like and say God bless you. Thank you, everybody.
of the King. Oh.